Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Why are COVID numbers continuing to rise? It's back to school for many students with the TDSB and two murders in Rexdale have police wondering, is there a serial killer out there? All of that is coming up. Let's get to it. 251, obviously a better number than we had yesterday when we were above 300, but again continues this trend that we pretty much predicted a couple of weeks back. We knew it was on the upward mobility. We knew that it was happening. It's like the Jeffersons moving on up. Uh, And so we knew that it was heading that direction, 251. I want to tell you a little story that really ticked me off It ticked me off this morning, and I think it speaks volumes about a bigger problem we have in this country and in this province with communication about COVID-19. 251, that's the number. If you happen to be, you know, near any kind of a news source this morning, you may have wondered, why is it that this 251... That number was out so early this morning. Why was it out like 8.30 in the morning? Because if you know about the numbers and when they're released, they normally come out about 10.15. So why was it early? Well, I'll tell you why. Dr. Williams, the great communicator and uh, lead medical expert and authority in this province, Dr. Dave Williams, the medical officer of health, uh, was on the TV on a competitor station, and he made that announcement of 2.51 early this morning, hours before it normally came out. Now, you you know, whatever, a couple of hours, you're saying to me, Alan, come on, that's just your competitive nature, it's not a bit, whatever, you know, you're just, you're just ticked that you didn't do it on a global news morning, and you're tra- you're right, I am, but it sort of speaks to, you know, a, a, a lack of transparency you know, it's a bigger issue, and you heard about it in the news. The, I'm not the only one saying it. I don't play a doctor on TV, but even the medical officials are saying we need more transparency. We need more information about where the spread is. What do we know about the numbers? And this, well, I've I've got the number here in my back pocket, but just hold on for a couple of hours, if you will. I'll just... Let me just, I'm just going to, I could tell you, but I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm begging now. I'm just begging you. Be patient. You know, you don't need to know, public. You don't really need to know. Well, I'll tell you what you need to know. It's this kind of bureaucratic secrecy that is hampering our response to the pandemic. For example, I've talked about it on the radio program already about this this workplace in Peel, it's a some kind of factory in Mississauga. They've had at least 60 cases there. I can't tell you anything more about it. You know why? Because the public health unit of Peel says nothing to see here. Privacy can't tell you anything about it. And even the mayor of Brampton, Patrick Brown, has been saying this makes no sense. What about the restaurants and the places in you know in the vicinity around this workplace that you know might be saying, well, wait, hold on, you know the widget factory down the street that's got sixty cases. Why is it that we can't be told about it? It's an ongoing problem, and I went off on this yesterday. 
if you join me, thank you so much if you are a regular listener to this radio program. I went off about this yesterday saying that what we need is we need examples. We need concrete examples of what it is that's happening to cause the numbers to go up. Because right now, all of us are clearly fatigued. There is a great deal of misinformation. There's some distrust out there, mistrust, pardon me, especially when you, you know, you have Doc Williams going around, hold on for a couple more hours. I'll give you the numbers when I get them. Well, whenever I feel like it, I'll get around to it. Well, you know, after I went off on this yesterday, it's pretty clear to me uh, that Toronto's medical officer of health, uh, Dr. Eileen Davila, is clearly a regular listener to this program. Because after I said that, she went on the air and said exactly what I was asking for. Here is, let's begin here. This is Dr. Deville talking about why the numbers continue to go up. Our focus must be on what each of us will do to reduce the risk of spread. And there continues to be virus spread in our city. This means we should expect that our case count will go higher. That is uh, Dr. Eileen Villa, the Medical Officer of Health for Toronto. The numbers are going to go higher. Now, I want to read to you from part of her statement because this is what gets to the heart of what I say, and I'm not the only one, <laughs> what a lot of people are calling on officials to do a better job of, and that is to give us concrete examples of what's happening to cause the numbers to go up. Quote from Dr. Davila, We know of a big family gathering where there was very little mask wearing, and too much close contact. Our case investigators were told by those involved, we're family. We wouldn't think we could get this disease from each other. But of course, infections resulted. And this is the kind of information that we need. Let's go to Doug Ford here, trying to address this very problem yesterday. Here is the Premier's attempt at saying much the same thing. I asked, where, where are we seeing the cases? And the, the most common answer is social gatherings. It's not the, the bars per se or the restaurants. Uh, it's social gatherings. So, folks, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, please, just cut out the social gatherings. It's just not worth it. Cut it out! The message from Doug Ford that that's where the source of infection is. It is not in the bars and not in the restaurants because as the kids go back to school, and in our next segment we're going to talk more about back to school and the reality that's facing so many parents this morning, myself included, my son going into grade 7 this morning, off he goes to the TDSB. And, you know, that's that's a heavy stress. That's a, he that's a stress on him. It's a stress on his family. And as all of this stress comes together, we need to know where is it that the outbreaks are happening. I can tell you this. I can tell you that there's new numbers this morning that says there are outbreaks in schools. I'll get you those details in a little bit. I just don't have it right in front of me here. The numbers are not huge, like four students, four staff members, 14. Those are all the numbers there, 14 schools. So that's a concern. But you heard the premier there saying, look, look it's, not, it's not the bars and it's not the restaurants because, you know, that's where the calls are going to be. Like, why do we have, you know, why are these things open? Let's get back to Dr. Davila and further into her statement. She said this and listen to this. 
Over the weekend, there were reports of a busy restaurant where a performer, a performer <clears throat> was moving from table to table unmasked. It was noisy. People were close to each other and had to lean in and speak loudly in order to be heard. This is a situation where an asymptomatic carrier could easily spread infections to others. Is she talking about Club Paradise? Is that what that is? Because you know that we have an outbreak at yet another gentleman's club, a performer. Who, oh, maybe it was a belly dancer. We, we've had reports of that. Who knows? We need better information. And here's the other thing. When you read that, what, you know what that doesn't say? It doesn't say that there was actually any transmission in that case. It's just, it's a situation where it could have happened. So again, we come back to this lack of information from the central table. We need better communication about where the tra- where where is the transmission happening. And I, I, I you know, I have been often very critical of the Ford government, and especially on the education file and its inability to communicate. But Doug Ford there, you got to give him props for at least trying to address this problem head on, which is saying, folks, folks, it's the social gatherings. It's the, I'm getting together with my family, and it's all, it'll be fine. It's my family. It's fine. We're not going to get it. That's where the trouble is. It's not the bars. It's not the restaurants. It's not the schools. Hey, Toronto moms and dads, how you feeling today? Have you sent your children back to school? Is that something that's wearing on you? Or are you like so many parents who have opted in the last week to say, nope, I'm going with that online model? The news from the Toronto District School Board is there's been skyrocketing uh, demand for the online model, and that's why they've had to push back the start date of that till next Tuesday. Here's Dr. Eileen Davila, who is Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, talking about the unease for many parents today. I know that there is unease. That's natural when doing something for the first time in a long time, and especially in our world with COVID. I've said that I'm certain there will be cases in our local schools. This isn't to say that schools will always be the source of the infection. That is uh, Dr. Eileen Davila, Toronto's Medical Officer of Health, with a bit of a reality check for all of us parents. Be prepared. There will be numbers that come from schools. It does not necessarily mean, though, that schools are the source of outbreaks. Keep that in mind. Now, if you are amongst the parents who have decided that, nope, uh, we're going to keep the kids home and we are going to opt for the online learning module, what's in store for you? What are the tips and the techniques to get the most out of what is coming? Is this all an experiment with you as the guinea pig parent and teach, you know, parent and student? Well, to get more on that, I am pleased to welcome back to the program Behan Farhadi, who is an expert in online education. Welcome, Behan. Thanks for having me. So in the spring, when we had remote learning, my experience was that that wasn't remote learning at all. That was, hey, parents, you take care of this. Do you have a sense that it's different as we head into the fall? It has to be different. Yeah, it wasn't um, remote learning. It takes time to set up a successful 
uh, distance program and it will differ whether a student is entirely virtual, which will be standardized versus um, in a, you know, parents who are sending their children back to classroom who are going to probably be connected um, online so that there is an ease of transition in the event that um, school closes again. This is obviously different depending on the age of the child. You know, if if you're talking about a child in grade six, that's a different story than, you know, uh, grade one or grade two. How do we tailor an online learning module, especially for those younger kids? I think communicating expectations to parents is really important. Um, We are kind of figuring this out as we go along. There hasn't been a mass-delivered online learning program to my knowledge, ever, uh, because it's obviously not the best way to learn. And we do require adults at home to support learning to some capacity, whether it's just getting students online. Um, The success of a learner will depend on their maturity level as well as their, um, you know, stage of development. So, for instance, I've got a child in kindergarten and I can't expect him to be able to focus. So I think teachers will probably be doing using the synchronous time doesn't necessarily mean that your child is going to be in front of a screen for consecutive hours. What it will mean is your child is probably going to be there for um, maybe up to 45 minutes um, and then sort of pause to do activities. Um, so they're, they're, even with the most engaging teacher, even with everything done as best as possible, we still require a, an adult to support the learner the younger that they are. Let's move up the uh, grades. I have uh, a daughter going into grade 10, uh, and obviously that's a different story. And for them, there's a combination of in-class and then synchronous and then asynchronous. And I'm wondering, what, is the, what does the science tell us about a student's ability to move between those three modules? Do we really know anything about how learning will take place as kids try and navigate those three things? So successful hybrid models, which is what you're referring to, usually is successful because a student is, some, is often getting the direct instruction at home through you know, usually asynchronous instruction, which is not at the same time at the same place, and then they come to school to do interactive activities. We, we're not doing that anymore. So what this is going to look like remains to be seen. I, I'm curious about what we're going to be able to do in the classroom when we're unable to interact. But even high school students are struggling with maintaining focus. They struggle with isolation. And it does require the parent to at least check in on a regular basis to ensure that there is, um, you know, that the you know, that their child is on task. So, yeah, I think a lot of it does remain to be seen even even at the senior levels. I, I think the thing that, that I struggle with even, you know, in, in my workplace is just the, the amount of distraction. There's Twitter, there's, you know, oh, if I can just, you know, go on Instagram or do whatever it is that, you know, takes my attention away. And I, and I, I wonder how it is that high school students will be able to navigate that when they're supposed to be learning and they don't have that enforcement of a teacher saying, you know, put your phone down and focus. Definitely. Um, distractions are a huge barrier to learning, even when you're in the classroom. Um, I know that we've had conversations this year, even just about, or last year, about cell phone use in class. Uh, I, I mean, ultimately, it, it is on the teacher to create as engaging of, an, of a session as possible. 
Um, but again, even in the, the most engaging teachers, they're going to be a handful of students who are going to be staring at the screen, um, listening to the teacher, but scrolling through social media, for instance. There isn't I mean, I am I definitely um, of the mind that we can't police our way through teaching, right? So we just have to kind of let some things go and use the in-class time as best as possible and, in, and produce activities that allow for engagement so that it's not just a student listening to the teacher, but the student having to also engage with their peers um, in a way that's um, interactive. Behan, thank you so much for your perspective. Uh, you know, it's obviously, as you say, uh, an untraveled road, both both for parents, teachers, and also for our students. I appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Thanks for having me. One of the things about dealing with kids, of course, is learning to speak their language. And how do you speak the language that they understand? And with uh, coronavirus cases continuing to spike amongst those under 40, you know, there's a lot of talk about, all right, you know, our messaging clearly isn't getting through to the younger generation. And I want to play a little bit of a video that has gone pretty viral in the last 24 hours. This is actor Paul Rudd, uh, and this is a video featured on the uh, New York governor, uh, Governor Cuomo's feed, and actor Paul Rudd, I won't play all of it for you, just a portion of it. Uh, the, the basic thing here is, you know, Paul Rudd, you, you may know that actor. He, he's, he's the guy that continually plays sort of a, you know, arrested adolescent. And even though he continues to age, it seems like he continues to play younger parts. And, you know, he, he jokes at one point, he says, you know, you know, Cuomo asked me, you're 26, right? And I, I didn't correct him. Anyway, the, the point of this is just listen to some of this great slang in here. This is an education itself, just in kind of ridiculous slang this is paul rudd so fam let's real talk masks they're totally beast so slide that into your dms and twitch it vibe check yes queens like ourselves we want to go to bars we want to drink hook up do our tiktoks i get it i'm not gonna preach at you like some celebrity this is a combo where i talk and you shut up and wear your mask hello Oh, hi, Billie Eilish. What's that? You're wearing your mask? Man, I want to stand you. You're so my bae. Yo, listen, hype beasts. Masks protect you and your dank squad. Because caring about other people is the new not caring about other people. Now that's thick. <laughs> that is Hector Paul Rudd with a, uh, a nice education in slang. Uh, so, fam, wear your mask. Masks protect you and your dank squad. Your dank squad. I think that might be my favorite part of it. The dank squad bit. Uh, that is uh, that is a very effective piece of uh, communication. I'm, you know, the thing is, is that I think it's aimed at people who are laughing at those terms, and I don't know if it's going to connect to a, you know anybody who's busy with their TikToks. And a developing story in the area of around Rexdale in our city where police there are concerned that there could be, and I stress could here, there could be a serial killer. There have been two homicides and police are not ruling out the possibility that Rampreet Peter Singh, 39 years of age, 
and Mohammed Aslam Zafis, 58 years of age, who were both fatally stabbed to death, that there may be a connection between the two. I want to take you through some of this because it's very important, and then I'm going to point you towards our Instagram at at AM640 because there's a piece of video I need you to see. Let's begin with a homicide update. Here is Inspector Hank Itzinga. At this stage in our investigation, it is too early to confirm if these two homicides are connected to one another. However, we cannot exclude that possibility. That is the Toronto Police saying they cannot exclude the possibility. Our Catherine McDonald is just simply the best crime reporter in the city, our global news uh, crime reporter, and she was on this radio station just a short while ago talking about these similarities and why police are saying, well, we're, we're not ruling out this possibility. Both of these men did nothing to provoke these attacks. They, it appears they were strangers. So these were stranger attacks. Uh, number two, they were both stabbed. And number three, they were both stabbed within five kilometers of one another within five days. That raises the alarm bells, obviously. People who live in the neighborhood are being warned to be on alert, to avoid the area under the bridge where Mr. Singh was found dead uh, last Monday morning. But police are also saying we're ramping up the patrols and we are trying to get more video of the of the suspect. The other thing they say is they are looking at a possible motive could be that these are hate crimes. Both men are ethnic men. They don't say what ethnicities. Clearly, this is something that would be concerning if not alarming to people who live in this part of Etobicoke. That is Catherine McDonald talking about police ramping up their presence in that area in Etobicoke as concern amounts. And is there a possibility that there is a link between uh, the death of Mr. Singh, a homeless man who was found dead under a bridge, uh, and Mr. Zafis, who is a volunteer at a mosque? Let's get back to Hank Zinga, the inspector, talking more about this key piece of information they have right now that you need to see. We have already released security camera footage of the suspect in Homicide 52. We would ask the public again to please look closely at that video. We've already received some tips. We'd like to keep those tips coming in. That is Hank Zinga, and I'm just uh, quickly right now just going right to our web page, or sorry, my our, our Instagram page, and we're just trying to get that up right now. If you go to AM640, that video will be there, and you can take a look at, and I'm just looking and see, it just hasn't loaded just yet. It is in stories. This is Shiba Siddiqui, Siddiqui pardon me, is, uh, yes, here it is. It's in our stories, not to the direct page, but it, on the stories AM640. Video released by Toronto Police of a man seen near a weekend murder in Rexdale. And what it shows in black and white is a man walking down a sidewalk. Uh, It is not terribly clear, but it is the best thing that police have right now. And I want you to go to Instagram and take a look at it. Because if there's any chance that you would recognize that person, or if you live in that area... Take a look. Now, I want to circle back to the term that I used at the beginning, and that is serial killer. Obviously, when you hear that term, people are going to pay attention. And did police actually say that yesterday, 
or where did that term come from? Let's get back to Catherine McDonald. A reporter did ask yesterday if these cases are connected and if they're, you know, could we possibly be dealing with a serial killer? Well, serial killer implies three or more victims. So there's a lot of hypotheticals here. Certainly police are covering themselves by telling the community that this is one of one of the possibilities we are looking at, we are investigating, because, you know, this way at least the community isn't in the dark and can't uh, complain that they were uh, not notified when police were considering this. So, I, I mean, a serial killer really is an alarming term. And uh, when I heard that question asked yesterday, of course, I'm thinking, well, wait a second here. You know, so far, police are still saying it's a possibility. They're not saying that we've connected them. And serial killer implies more than two victims. So I'm very careful about using that term because that is a very alarming term. And police do not want to cause panic, but they do certainly want people to be aware, and they don't want to be accused of not informing the community again, because that was a mistake in that investigation involving the victims of Bruce MacArthur. Catherine McDonald referring there to the Bruce MacArthur case, where police sort of rule it out. No, we don't have that. You know, we don't have a serial killer, and obviously we know what happened in that case, but that gives you some better perspective, and once again, I will point you to our Instagram page, AM640, in our stories right there is that video that police are talking about. Back to school for so many kids, uh, TDSB letting some kids back today, not all of them. Uh, on Online, of course, that's being delayed a couple more days. That'll start on Tuesday. My son going to uh, grade 7 today. Uh, and uh, his mom, he wasn't with me this morning, but his mom sent a picture, and there he was. Uh, getting ready. He's got his mask. Off he goes. And uh, many of those pictures being uh, posted today, I noticed that uh, Councillor Mike Layton, Toronto Councillor Mike Layton, posting an adorable picture of his daughter on her way back to school. And Mike Layton joins me on the line. Hi, Councillor. Hi there, Alan. Uh, how old is your daughter? She is four going on five. Did you struggle with whether or not to, to go with online learning or go in class? We did. You know, we, we've actually, like many families, when when we were advised that we could bubble up and include grandparents and um, and uh, my my sister who lives close and their kids in, in our bubble, uh, it was a relief, uh, like, to be honest, having that support back. And now that we're going, I, we are, I've got uh, my mom's uh, uh, getting older and my, my partner's uh, parents are old as well or older as well. And so when we start to um, to think about the impacts uh, of that that the exposure might have on them, I think that's where we struggled the most. Um, but then we also had to think about our daughter's own mental health and and her development. And we came to the conclusion that you know what um, we 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 know that the TDSP has taken as many precautions as they can given the the class sizes they've been handed and the resources they've been handed. Um, but we were confident that, uh, that through the teachers and the administration and the other classmates that, um, that, that she'll be safe and, um, and she'll be able to start or resume her learning. You know, it's a, it's a different message for kids at different ages. You know, for, for my son, who is into a new school, middle school, grade 7, it's a different set of concerns. And, you, you know, as a parent, you want to try and make sure that they don't, you know, they're not, overly worried or overly concerned but you know nevertheless there's all of these extra things they have to do I'm, I'm wondering if you had a conversation with your daughter about you know the mask and all of these things these precautions that we have to take now 
Well, we've been practicing, practicing getting the mask on and off. Uh, we, we certainly have instilled the hand washing as much as we can. Um, I think she understands that uh, um, that we, we should be playing at a distance. That's how we've been doing it over the uh, over this last six months. Um, and so I, I, I think that that they get it. Uh, I, my worry is that this turns into the new normal, that uh, that after we, we get past this, and we know that uh, it's going to be like this for a little bit longer, um, as we get past this, I, I just want to make sure that this notion of human conduct isn't something that's frightening anymore. Uh, watching her play in the, in the playground since they've opened up again, uh, you know that those, those, those skills, those, um, inter, those interactions, those interpersonal skills, uh, you can lose them when you, if you're not practicing. And so it'd be, I think it's extremely important that, uh, that, that we try to encourage our kids to, to, uh, to, to maintain contact with their friends, whether or not it's over a Skype or, or um, a, a Zoom, uh, or uh, in the playground, of course, observing that, uh, that, that we need to play from a distance. But those, those play skills, man, they're important throughout life uh, uh, to add to your ability to interact with each other. And I'm, I'm so worried that that that's something uh, that that she'd be missing out on uh, if if she were at home. Um, it's not, but it's not the same in every case uh, with with people that live with grandparents. They just don't have those options uh, because of the exposure that 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 they would then bring home from the schools. And 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 so I think for for every family it's different for every age group, as you said, um, there are differences. But uh, for us, the decision was to to send her back. Councillor, I appreciate you taking the time. That's Councillor Mike Layton. Thank you very much, Alan. So, you know, so many decisions to be made and there are decisions where, you know, you have to do the cutoff now as to whether or not online learning and then I think it's Thanksgiving, you can decide whether or not, well, you know, you're going to put your kid back in. You have a course of, you know, of a, a number of days over the course of the year, whereas a parent, you can decide, well, all right, now I think things are better and we'll, we'll go back in. You can't just decide, well, next week, well, the numbers have gone down. You can't do it that way. And there'll be more questions for the Premier about that today. Uh, and the Premier coming up at 1 o'clock. Let's get a quick uh, preview on what we think the Premier will be talking about today. Uh, and uh, for that, we're just trying to get a hold of uh, Travis Danraj, who is our Queen's Park Park Bureau Chief Travis is actually on hold right now for the Premier. Now, the way this thing works is actually the Premier is not in Toronto right now. He was not at question period. That's the second day uh, with the House back that the Premier was not in the House. The Premier in Guelph today uh, for uh, his daily one o'clock uh, announcement. And so what Travis needs to do is he's got to call in advance and be on hold for about an hour to get a shot at answer, uh, getting a question into the Premier. It's not always a guarantee that you're going to get one. Uh, Travis is on the line, I believe. Uh, are you on hold still for the uh, Premier, right. Travis? Uh, yeah, sorry, having phone problems. I am on hold, so this is what I got going on right now, Alan. I have one phone on hold for the Premier's press conference, and now you're on my other phone. Okay, well, I like that. Multitasking. That's good. What are we expecting the uh, Premier to be talking about today? Well, listen, I think he's going to address the uh, numbers that we're seeing again today, 251, so down a little bit from yesterday, but still we're seeing that upwards trend. Uh, he'll also be likely asked about back to school. He was not in the legislature today. He's got an announcement in Guelph, uh, and so he is there with Christine Elliott as well. Christine Elliott was in the House taking a lot of questions on back to school 
also on whether or not the government is prepared for a second wave when it comes to long-term care. The opposition today hammering the government saying that they are not prepared. Um, so there are going to be a variety of topics that come up today. You know, th- that's interesting. I-, I watched the House today and noticed that Andrea Horvath had kind of moved away from education as her central question, mm-hmm. and it has now moved to uh, fears of second wave. And that really speaks to, you know, the the public concern right now as we see these numbers heading back up. Yeah, it certainly, you know, is a, a major factor here. We talked about yesterday on Global News, the fact that the government is looking at all kinds of different options right now. They're preparing a fall pandemic plan. And what we saw with the reopening in terms of a regional approach, we could see if we do have to, and nobody wants to go back to, but if we do have to revert to, uh, you know, stage two, we could see that in regions where the case numbers are higher, regions like Toronto, Peel, Ottawa. You know what's so interesting about that, and I just want to bring up the uh, regional numbers here quickly because I didn't give them out today. 73 for Toronto, 51 Ottawa, 42 of those in Peel. Uh, And last week, Travis, when the Premier was asked about rollbacks, because as you know, in British Columbia, they've said, you know, the banquet halls and nightclubs have to close. He was asked, is that the kind of thing that should happen, you know, here in Ontario, he put it on the mayors to do it, individual mayors. And that is not, to my understanding, a regional approach. So to hear him yesterday saying regional approach, I, I'm not sure that the mayors and the premier are think they're saying the same thing when they say no. regional approach. No, they're not. They're not in sync there. Uh, and I, I, in fact, I called into Mayor John Tory's news conference today to ask him about those comments, those specific comments related to bars and nightclubs in Toronto. And the mayor said, and also group gatherings, right? I mean, there's a restriction right now, 50 people uh, inside, 100 outside. That's a provincial mandate. And the premier also said, well, you know, local public health units can change that. The mayors can change that if they want to. Mayor Tory said he politely disagrees with the premier on that, that he has consulted with city lawyers. And they say that a lot of this is provincial jurisdiction. So there's this kind of hot potato going back and forth between the municipalities and the province. Uh, And I guess, you know, we we will see how this goes. But uh, this regional approach is something that Christine Elliott, the health minister, said that they're looking at yesterday. What that looks like the details of it we don't know yet yeah because regional approach you know we had patrick brown on the program recently and he said that he is considering moving on what you were talking about the uh, the number limits uh, inside and outside but then you have a situation where well how do, how does brampton say well we're going to do x with the peel regional uh you know, numbers, and Mississauga somehow is going to say something else. Or how do you do it in Peel, which I said, you know, the numbers is 42, and you don't do it in Toronto, which is 73. A regional approach has to be greater Toronto-Hamilton area. That's a region. Right, yeah. And Andrea Horvath was asked about that yesterday, whether or not she would want to see, say, you know, in, in her riding, in Hamilton, restrictions put into place if they weren't put into place in Toronto. She kind of sidestepped that question, but it is, it's a concern, right? Because, I mean, you know, these are areas where people go back and forth all the time. They commute back and forth. I mean, we're not talking Kenora and Toronto here. Those are obviously very different areas, very different geography. But, yeah, I mean, a regional approach would have to be GTA. Uh, and then you look at different areas around the Ottawa area as well, right? 
All right. What What do you think your odds are of getting a question in today? Well, listen, I dialed in an hour and a half so it's been on hold for one hour, 21 minutes and 10 seconds, so just a shy of an hour and a half. So I'm rolling the dice and hoping for the best today, as what, I do every day. Did they play that horrible music on hold, it's you know, flamenco the on hold guitar. music from the legislature? Yeah, it's like it's like elevator music, flamenco guitar today. We were joking about that in the press gallery oh, chat. Oh, that is... <laughs> That's hard. You have a hard job, Travis. You really do. Travis Damage is our Queens Park Bureau Chief. Great talking to you, Travis. Best of luck at getting the question in. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Alan. (laughs) Doug Ford is coming up in just a couple of minutes from Guelph, the daily update from the Premier. Uh, who's he going to go off on today? Is he going to, you know, what is the Bon Mott coming out of today? And I'll bring you a couple of peaches for that great, great question. I got a whole basket of them here. Who can tell? Uh, I have great questions. Uh, maybe today he'll talk about, he, you know, doesn't want to sound like a preacher, doesn't want to be your dad, doesn't want to be your granddad, but he's going to let you know the truth, which is cut it out with the getting together. Cut it out with the partying already. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.